giant in Edison's point is like using librarying as like a protest. And it was, they thought it was like not, it shouldn't be allowed. So he went to par with it, saying that it was a form of freedom of speech. And by the end of, it went back to the Supreme Court, it was a controversial five to four ruling that stated that it was okay to flag for a flag and say flag. All right, pretty good. Okay, so it's February 27th, 2020. We're talking about Texas versus Johnson. And that was a pretty good introduction. And did anybody want to add to that? So in the book, it talks about some landmark cases. Did you all see that? Now again, you'd have to actually open the book, turn to chapter 4 to be able to view that. So um, in chapter 4, they list a couple of cases that the author of this textbook considers landmark, right? So why does, this is on page 46 in the 6th edition. It may be on a different page, but it, it's also in the 5th edition. It says, a history of free speech in the United States, and then the author lists, it looks like, about 10 or 12 uh, different cases. The last one. Uh, is uh, from 2015, the Texas versus Johnson case is from 1989. At least that's when it was uh, resolved by the United States Supreme Court in a 5-4 uh, decision. The case was in uh, 1984 is when Johnson was arrested. And Johnson was arrested in Dallas, Texas, uh, during that time, the Republicans were holding a uh, Republican National Convention because at the time they were attempting to find um, a uh, presidential candidate. And uh, Ronald Reagan happened to be one of the speakers uh, there in Texas. So Johnson decided that he was going to uh, protest. He did not like Republicans, just as a general rule. And he wanted to protest. And so he uh, led a protest outside of uh, the convention center in Dallas, Texas, uh, during the Republican National um, Convention. And so he decided to burn a flag. And uh, at the time that he was burning the flag, he, uh, he knew that it was a violation of the law. And he did it on purpose. And he wanted to, um, uh, some people, some people have argued that he wanted to get arrested. And um, other people argue he was just protesting and he was arrested. But uh, his name uh, is synonymous now with this case, which means I guess he's kind of famous to have a Supreme Court ruling in his favor, uh, which is kind of uh, interesting. So what happened was he got arrested and then ultimately... Um, Six years, oh, excuse me, five years later, the Supreme Court basically uh, invalidated the law that Texas created and said that the law that Texas created violated um, Johnson's right to speak freely. So it's, it's controversial because the court said that this is uh, what Johnson did was considered a speech act. So this is why it's controversial because the court decided what Johnson did was a speech act. 
and that's the controversial part. So we'll talk about that in a bit. So um, prior to 1989, Texas passed a law or a statute, and they said that you cannot uh, desecrate a venerated object. So the law said you cannot desecrate a venerated object. And they say that the United States flag is a venerated object. So once Johnson burned it, a flag in public, so the key was he had the flag, he bought the flag, it was his flag, but he went into public and he set the flag on fire in violation of the law at the time that Texas said you cannot desecrate a venerated object. Setting it on fire was clearly desecrating the object. So the, art, the act of sitting out on fire in public is kind of how that law read. Now, if he, would have was at, if he was at home and he burned an American flag in his backyard, would he be guilty of this statute or this law? No, because it had to, had to be in public. Because the, the idea was that burning it in public would create some type of response from people that saw it, right? Does anybody know anything about Texas? Does burning an American flag in Texas today um, could that get you uh, get your neighbors riled up or get people riled up? Do you think? Yeah, it can. Yeah, um, I've been to uh, not every not every state. I've probably been to forty some of the fifty states, and uh, I go to Texas regularly because my son lives in Texas, and my grandsons grandsons, and so I go there a lot. And I do notice American flags fly all over the place. All I mean on trucks. All I mean it's just very popular. So the American flag is uh, very popular, not only in the United States generally, but in Texas particularly. When I've looked at public opinion polls about burning the American flag, this is what most people say. A high percentage of people say, you should not burn the American flag. But a plurality of people say there shouldn't be a law against it. So it's one of those things that, generally speaking, most people are not in favor of burning the American flag. However, the majority of people say there shouldn't be a law against it, right? So on one hand, we don't think you should do it, but we don't think the government should penalize you for doing it. So that's kind of where, where that, um, kind of the public opinions about burning the flag. So Texas versus Johnson. So there's a clash between the First Amendment and the Tenth Amendment, for sure. Does anybody uh, have their constitution out that can read us the Tenth Amendment to the United States Constitution? Because I think I asked you to get that for today, didn't I? Did I not say that? You could go like this. So I asked you to get it, and some of you just ignored me. You're like, what ifs? But how about for the people that didn't ignore me and actually got a copy of it? Can someone do the Tenth Amendment? Yes. Okay. So prior to 1989, Texas passes a law. The law says you cannot desecrate a venerated object in public in this case. So that uh, law, by definition of a law as generally known, each state may define it a little bit differently, but this is Penal Code 15 from California. 
<clears throat> a law is an act committed or omitted in violation of a law commanding or forbidding it. That's Penal Code 15 in California. So if you ever get arrested in California, they'll use Penal Code 15. And the, the definition of a law is an act committed or omitted in violation of a law commanding or forbidding it. So that's the definition of a law. So Texas passes a law and uh, about desecrating vener venerated objects. The Tenth Amendment to the United States Constitution gives the states the right to pass laws as long as the federal constitution doesn't have something on the books enumerated that conflicts with that law. So in the United States Constitution, later on, not in the beginning, but um, later on in history, they came up with this idea called the Supremacy Clause. Does anybody know what the Supremacy Clause is? Supremacy Clause says that if the federal government already made a law, then the states can't make a law against that law. They can't contradict it, right? So you would also think that if the states make a law, that the federal government can't make a law that contradicts it. And generally, that may be true in some instances. It may be true in other instances. But how our system works when there's conflicts about the law it goes up through the courts, and then the courts kind of work it out. Yes? Isn't the No, basically what it says is that the federal law reigns supreme over the state laws. But again, it's a little bit technical in the application of it. So the state says in our state, uh, you can't drive faster than 55 miles an hour, right? whatever that is. So the uh, federal government uh, can't make a law that says, that contradicts that. But the idea is that the federal government's law will reign supreme over the states. And it, it's controversial because you have the Tenth Amendment. So the Tenth Amendment says that the federal government didn't already take responsibility for it and enumerate it. The states could make decisions about behavior, which is what this is. It's controversial because I'll give you a couple of examples. So a couple of years ago, the state of Arizona uh, created some laws about uh, curtailing immigration in their state. And then the Obama administration, uh, through the, the, the federal government, uh, sued the state and said, you can't do that because that's our, that's our responsibility. Because in the Constitution, immigration is given to the federal government. But Arizona said, but we're being overwhelmed by uh, people coming into the country without permission, and you're not helping us, so we're going to do our own thing to limit that and, and deal with the costs. At that time, the, the costs are very high. Federal government went to court, and the court agreed with the federal government and said, even if the federal government is not doing it, you still can't do it because it's not your responsibility. It's enumerated as a federal responsibility, not a state. Right? So that's interesting that the Obama administration sued the state of Texas, saying that our federal supremacy reigns over your Tenth Amendment right to do it. 
basically. But there's plenty of other cases where it's the opposite, where the state decides, for instance, with immigration laws, that they're going to, quote, have sanctuary policies where you can come here and the government won't pursue you or prosecute you. And then the federal government says, well, wait a minute. We, we own immigration, and the states cannot do that. And in some cases, the lower courts have ruled in favor of the states being able to do that. And in other cases, there was just a recent case, I think it was on Monday, where um, the, there was a contradiction between states' sanctuary policies and what the federal government said that that's our responsibility. I think it was on Monday that the Supreme Court ruled in favor of the Trump administration, saying, no, the federal government reigns supreme over the laws, and so a state can't make sanctuary laws saying that if you come here, you can't be prosecuted. I saw a hand. No. But how come they, uh, how come the, um, for certain laws that are in place, how come they conflict with the federal government? Well, because there's always the, both the state and the federal government want power, and there's always going to be a battle, and that's what the courts are usually there for. So the states have rights. The states could do basically anything they want to as long as the federal government can take responsibility for it. Once they take responsibility for it, then the states can't do it. That's, again, I'm talking more general because there are some particulars about it, but that's the general rule. Because a power struggle. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's what the courts are, courts are involved in, resolving the conflicts between uh, parties that are aggrieved or states uh, and laws that are in conflict. That's kind of what the court systems are for. Right? Depends. It always depends. I mean, think about the case with marijuana. The federal government classifies marijuana as a Schedule One drug. That's in their purview. They own that, right, drugs. state of California passes a ballot initiative saying that we're going to allow people to buy and sell marijuana clearly, clearly in violation of the federal law. Clearly, right? So that's why I'm saying that the things I'm saying I'm talking general that the federal government says once we pass a law that the states can't contradict it, so we reign supreme. But there are times when the states pass a law that the federal government overrules. Here's one, Texas versus Johnson. Was there some law on the federal statute that said anything about burning a flag? No. So there was nothing, there was nothing in the federal statute about burning a flag, so the states said, look, we don't want people to burn the flag. We passed a law. And then this went, you know, five years later, the federal government through the Supreme Court said, no, states can't do that. And we're going to justify it by saying that this is really free speech, not behavior. And the state says, no, it's behavior. The federal government said, no, it's free speech. And the state said, no, it's behavior. Because states get to decide based upon this, right? They can make laws. Laws are defined as an act committed or omitted in violation of law for being commanded. So there was nothing on the federal books, so there was no federal supremacy that said to Texas, you can't pass that law. Nothing. But Johnson made an argument, and some judges, I said some, because it does take a few judges along the way, not a lot, to kind of agree with you. When he first appealed this, he lost at the first round, and then as he went through the state of Texas, he won at a higher court. And I don't want to spend too much time on this, but so in each state, 
they have different appellate uh, courts, and then this is the highest state court. That's the, the state Supreme Court. Every state has <coughs> the highest appeals court, the state appeals. But then <coughs> you have the federal government has another system of courts, uh, appeals courts. And so what happened was somewhere along the line, somebody decided, a federal judge, that this was not a state issue, that this was a First Amendment United States Constitution issue, and it went through the different uh, branches to get up to the United States Supreme Court. So the state court, lower court said, <clears throat> we agree with the state. Another one said, we agree with Johnson. Another one said, we agree with uh, the state. Another one said, we agree with Johnson. And then at some point, someone made an argument that this really isn't about sta the state. It's really about the federal constitution because we're arguing this is free speech. And free speech says the government can't infringe upon my ability to speak freely. <clears throat> state of Texas is saying this isn't, this isn't free speech. This is about behavior because we have a statute that clearly defines desecrating a venerable, vener venerated object. This is uh, behavior. So those are, those are some of the conflicts. That's why I'm speaking generally. So anything I say particularly may not be exactly perfectly lined up because there's exceptions to all these things. Couldn't somebody argue that he had the intent to burn the flag even though the law was present? Um, I don't think intent to burn was part of it. Okay. No, I don't. I mean, but all laws have what you say is intent. They got different kinds of intent. General intent, specific intent, and then there's implied intent if you want to just at some point be a lawyer or be a police officer, right? Uh, three kinds of intent. And in regards to the intent, this is basically desecrating a vener vener venerable object, excuse me, a venerated object. What's desecration? <clears throat> Burning is considered desecration. What's a venerated object? The flag, right? So even though it doesn't say that, that's what that statue meant. It could be other uh, uh, objects, venerated objects. Okay, so... Um, the Tenth Amendment says basically that if the federal government hasn't taken responsibility for some behavior, the states can. So in this case, the, the state of Texas decided through its uh, legislative process. Uh, in 1984, they had about 16 million people that lived in Texas. They had approximately 200 members. They have a Senate and they have a House bicameral in Texas. They, they are elected for two-year terms, which is unique. Um, in California, I think they're elected for life. No, that was sarcasm. But um, in Texas, they have two-year terms, and I think they only meet like once or twice. And uh, the pay is very low. California, for the people that represent the state, the pay is, I think, the highest in the United States. And they meet all the time. So Texas has 16 million residents represented by 200 or so duly elected individuals, Democrats, Republicans, Independents. Those people decided in, uh, prior to 1989, they got together and they decided um, someone had an idea that they debated and talked about. Then someone created a bill that they debated and talked about. And then at some point, it was signed into law. Does everybody know how a bill becomes a law? Again, maybe that's stuff they stopped teaching in high school. But again, knowledge is power. You can go to the machine and look it up. Um, you can look up how a bill becomes a law. Uh, Schoolhouse Rock has a little cartoon to help you if you want to take a look at it. So how a bill becomes a law. There is time involved. There is money involved. There is energy involved. 
there's papers that are produced, there's resources. It could cost millions of dollars to take an idea and move it through the process of a bill and then it becoming a law. So it starts off as an idea, then it could become a bill, and then it could become a law. Does everybody understand that process? So in Texas, they had about 16 million citizens of that state who duly elected 200 members, Democrats, Republicans, Independents, and those people decided after debating and talking and discussing and spending money and printing papers and arguing whatever, that they came up with a law or statute that said, in Texas, you can't desecrate venerated objects. That was the law. Johnson violated that law. Johnson argued that that law is unconstitutional because he argued that he had a right to burn the American flag in public because he said he was just, it was his First Amendment right to be able to do that. Um, if you go to uh, law.cornell.edu, you can find a lot of this information that I'm talking about um, today. Um, I'm interested in uh, the dissent particularly. So this is an interesting case because there were, there were several opinions that were written that affirmed this case, and then there were several opinions that were written in the dissent. And it is rare that you can get either all nine of the people to write something either for or against the decision. And in this case, you had a lot of writings. Sometimes when they make a case, they always have one person that does for the, uh, the affirmative side of it, and then they have, that, and then they have the other person, uh, one person does the dissent. So they write two opinions. But in this case, you had all sorts of opinions from the, the assent and the dissent, which anytime that happens, it's obvious that it's controversial because when everybody starts writing, that means even amongst themselves, there was a lot of disagreement. I mean, this was a 5-4 decision, right? All that meant is one justice went the other way. We wouldn't be talking about this, obviously. Because, well, I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe from my perspective and other people, they could say that would have been a great decision. From my perspective, this is not a good decision. And a lot of the people that I like that, that know constitutional law they don't think this is a good decision either. And I'll, and I'll talk, to you, talk to you a little bit about that more. What's interesting is uh, Ant Anton Scalia was one of the people that uh, signed on with the majority opinion. And he was normally thought of, and he passed away a couple of years ago, as a kind of solid right-wing kind of um, originalist. There's, there's a couple different philosophies about how to interpret the Constitution. One is it's a living, breathing, growing document. So you interpret the words that were written by the framers in light of today's set of circumstances. The other side is says, no, you interpret them exactly how they were written. Right? So uh, the Eighth Amendment, cruel and unusual punishment, it's part of the Eighth Amendment. And so um, today, some courts have decided that if an inmate is on death row, that has been convicted of a capital crime, that inserting a needle into their arm, that is cruel and unusual punishment, therefore you can't do that. Prior to the Bill of Rights being um, uh, ratified, and probably from the time the founders, the people came from over to Europe to the, to the Americas, um, does anybody know how people were executed when they were convicted of capital crimes? Hanging chopping their heads off, shooting them, burning may be optional, I don't remember that one. 
but certainly guillotining, hanging, shooting was very popular. Today, can a state uh, chop someone's head off that was convicted of a uh, capital crime? Why not? The people that wrote the Constitution think it wasn't cruel and unusual. They wrote it. Depends on what state you're in, because some states still use electric chairs. Yeah, in a sense, you're right. There's, in each state, they use different versions of execution. The electric chair is probably still the most popular. Uh, probably the lethal injection is probably the, the one they use the most. But the first person to be electrocuted actually tried to take it to the Supreme Court and say it's cruel and unusual. And what happened? Uh, he lost. Lost, yeah. And then it failed. He yeah. still lived and then got electrocuted again a year later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm not really a lawyer, so I don't really know about much about that. You don't have to be a lawyer. You could read the Constitution. It's not that long. I don't know if you know that. You don't, you don't need to be a lawyer. I know that a lot of times with some of these ideas, and sometimes college professors try to do this to you, they're like, you have to have special knowledge. No, you don't need any special knowledge. You just have to be able to think. So some of you, you're learning how to think, but that's not special knowledge because all of you possess the ability to be able to think. So no. Um, are there people that specialize in, say, in this case, constitutional law? Yes. But even the people that specialize, you'll have different views or different opinions on it, right? You just will. Uh, United States Supreme Court has nine very smart, powerful, rich people that happen to be lawyers. And guess what? They split oftentimes on these things. And these are some of the smartest, wealthiest, powerful people. But they're still humans. They put their pants on like we do. They brush their teeth. They comb their hair. They're not like special people. They just happen to be really smart people that, that are politically connected. Because to get there, you have to be not only smart and a lawyer, but you also have to be politically connected to be able to be, you know, appointed to the United States Supreme Court. So no, uh, you don't need special knowledge. And if any of your teachers tell you you do, um, I, don't, I don't believe that. And I'd raise my hand and I would say, explain to me why. Now, yes, as teachers, we, we do have something that you all don't have, is that we have extensive education and our discipline. And if you've been around a while, which I have, I have experience over time, right? So I have that. But that doesn't mean that, that somehow I know everything and students know nothing. You may know less, that's fine, and it's probably true, but, but you don't have to have special knowledge to read the United States Constitution. So when the founder said cruel and unusual punishment, when they wrote it, chopping someone's head off, shooting them, uh, and all those various things, they didn't think it was cruel and unusual. So now today, we think chopping someone's head off is cruel, and then we say, therefore, it's unconstitutional. Uh, is that how? the Constitution is supposed to be interpreted? How I feel today about it? I just feel it's kind of cruel to chop someone's head off. It's kind of bloody, it's kind of gross, and I just think it's cruel. So therefore, it's unconstitutional. That's not how it works. You could have all sorts of feelings about anything, but if your feelings de determine the law, then you could see how the law would change on a regular basis every couple of years as people's emotions and feelings and perspectives change. You'd be changing the law all the time to meet those different changes. I saw a hand up. Um, it, in that case, wouldn't that be like a living, breathing document? 
I've, if there was such a thing, I mean, I know people argue that, but I've never seen a piece of paper breathe or live. I just haven't. I mean, obviously, it's a metaphor, but people have, some people think the Constitution be interpreted in, quote, light of today. And all that means is, is we surveyed everybody here and we said, look, I want to get your opinions. Should we chop people's heads off that commit capital crimes? And everyone goes, ooh, that's gross. No, because that would be mean, and I wouldn't want my head chopped off if I committed a capital crime. And so as a public, we feel uneasy about that. And so then we say, uh, no, we shouldn't. That doesn't mean the law's wrong. That doesn't even mean that it shouldn't happen. That just means that we have feelings about these different things over time as they changed. But again, it doesn't mean that the law's wrong, and it doesn't even mean that we should use a guillotine to chop people's heads off to commit capital crimes. It just means that the people that, get, that grow up in the culture, they also become judges in the culture, and they also have to interact with people in the culture. And so how people feel does influence how we look at the law, and, and as we try to change it, that's all part of it. And again, to change it, you, you only need one federal judge to change the law. The most powerful person in the world has been told many times since he became elected that the law or policy that he wanted to implement, he could not do. Sometimes it was one judge. One federal judge stopped the most powerful person in the world from implementing a law or a policy. Do you think that's a good idea? So we elect the President of the United States, right? So we get 60 million people to vote for Trump. I know 63 voted for Hillary, but in this case, 60 million people vote for Trump. And a federal judge, a federal judge that was appointed, not elected to that position, tells the most powerful person in the world, you can't do that. Is that a good system? Well, if you don't like Trump, you're like, yeah, it is. If you like him, you're like, no. And if you're kind of neutral, maybe you're not sure. But does that at least sound on its face a little bit strange that the most powerful person in the world can be stopped by one federal judge? Now, in a bunch of cases, just like what happened with President Obama, he had a bunch of things he wanted to do, and there were suits, and some he was successful, some he wasn't. Um, with the president, um, goes to the Supreme Court, and five to four, as the uh, case was on the Monday with immigration, they side with him. They say a federal judge cannot enact an injunction that keeps this policy from going into effect. Part of it was the public, uh, the, uh, what do they call it, public charge, where if you come to the United States to immigrate, that you have to be self-sufficient. You can't rely on taxpayers. That was one. And then the other one was about um, can the government withhold the federal money to states and counties that have, quote, sanctuary policies, where they say if you come here, we'll protect you from government laws in the Supreme Court, five to four, again, sided with the president. But the lower court, one judge, two judges, or three judges, said to the most powerful person in the world, you cannot do that. That's our system. Some people like it, some don't. Some people think that's an abuse of the federal judges having these national injunctions. It's a whole separate discussion. But it does get back to power and how power works. And so the state says, we know the 10th Amendment, there's nothing in the federal constitution about flags. We have the total right to decide in our state what you do with the flag. So then Johnson says, gets arrested, and then he goes through the court system, and then years later, five lawyers, and that's all they are, five human people, lawyers, right? Probably smart, probably rich, probably powerful, all those things. They decide that the state was wrong. 
those five justices. Now, along the way, there were a couple of state judges and a couple of other federal judges that agreed with Johnson. And along the way, there were a couple of state and federal judges that disagreed with Johnson's argument that this was free speech. The state saying, no, it's behavior. So how do we know who's right? How do we know who's right? We already had laws go to the Supreme Court that dealt with the same thing. So wouldn't you just base it off of that, like Tinker and Des Moines? Prior to that, I don't know if there was any case, at least according to the, the, the process, some argue that there were some previous rulings that supported um, uh, Johnson, and some said it supported the state's perspective or position. So at least there was some controversy about that that ultimately the Supreme Court decided. Because remember, the Supreme Court doesn't have to take any cases. I forget how many, people, how many cases are petitioned, but very few do they take. And I don't know what it is. Maybe you can look it up, but I don't know. But it's very few. So they decided for some reason that they wanted to take this case, and probably because a lot of times the Supreme Court says, I'll take a case, because the lower courts have varying opinions all over the place, and they want to just clarify it, and they want to say, okay, once and for all, let's settle this. Okay, so maybe that's why they even took it. So the First Amendment talks about the government cannot penalize you for speaking. The Tenth Amendment says that if the federal government has not enumerated a law, hasn't taken responsibility for it, the states can enact these laws. That's what they do. So a law is an act committed or omitted in violation of law forbidding commandment. Again, in California, it's Penal Code 15. In the state of Texas, prior to 1985, they passed this law. It first started off as an idea, became a bill, and ultimately became a law. I put up here speech equals violence because lately I've heard some people make that argument. Um, and some of you have seen that argument on the TOS, on Facebook, and, and all the other things, uh, terms of service, where they basically say, if you say something that we think could hurt somebody's feelings, or you say something that can make people feel uncomfortable, whatever it is, we get a right to censor you. That's kind of, and so I've heard lately some of this going on where people say words equal violence. You know, and so as a metaphor, uh, was it last week we, I wrote on the board, was it, did I say Trump attacks Sotomayor? Did we do that in this class? So again, people are talking to people all the time and they're disagreeing, maybe they're disagreeing very passionately, and the adjective that you see the media use a lot is attack. The, I, I see this all the time, attack, uh, um, the issue with the coronavirus. Uh, Pelosi attacks Trump and says Trump doesn't know what he's talking about. Trump attacks Pelosi and calls her whatever. You see the word attack. And then, again, as a metaphor, that may be interesting. But the more that, the more that conversation is framed using words that indicate violence, it's not unusual that some of you and maybe the culture will start thinking that speech is an attack is like a physical attack. I mean, maybe you've said this before. Someone said something hurtful to you, and it felt worse than if I was punched in the face. I've heard people say that. Would you rather get punched in the face or have someone say something mean to you? I'll take a punch in the face. Because if someone that you care about says something mean to you, that hurts, and it may hurt deeply, and it may hurt over a long period of time. A punch, the pain goes away. You put ice on it, it wears off. So I hear a lot of this now. I think I told you when I was a kid, we sung that little ditty. Sticks and stones will hurt our bones, but words can't hurt us. You all grew up in a, in a world that they didn't sing that ditty. You, in fact, a lot of you don't believe that. You may sing the opposite. You know, 
Um, mean words may hurt my bones, but sticks will never hurt me. I, you know, you, you can flip it around. And if the culture believes that, just so we, we think about this as an analogy, you can see why this today maybe be this case may be resurrected because this is what the court said. They called this a speech act. They call this ruling a speech act. It's in the textbook. They call this ruling a speech act. Is speaking and acting the same? We have nonverbal speech. Um, what does that mean? Body language is considered nonverbal speech. Not, not, not speech. It's behavior. Nonverbal behavior, yeah. What you do? Well, you said nonverbal speech even the other day. <clears throat> Maybe I did. I will stand corrected. I could have. I mean, I say all sorts of things I don't remember, so that's okay, yeah. But no, nonverbal behavior. That's communication. I may have said it that way, not speech. And if I did, I'll check the tape. But um, nonverbal communication. So you have verbal communication or oral communication, and then you have nonverbal communication. Nonverbal communication is communicating non-linguistically without words. That's the definition of it. So if we believe as a society that behaving is the same as speaking, and speaking is the same as behaving, then you could see where this makes no sense anymore. So if we're going to define a law, an act committed a violation of the law commanding or forbidding it, this is about behavior. In fact, Rehnquist was the um, chief justice of the United States Supreme Court in 1989. And in his dissenting opinion, this is what he said. This is not about disagreeable ideas. It's about disagreeable conduct. He said, this case isn't about disagreeable ideas. It's about disagreeable conduct. And that's the dissent. What the Chief Justice said, that this law defines conduct, not ideas. Ideas meaning something that you, again, speak. So the Chief Justice, Rehnquist, said this case isn't about disagreeable ideas. It's about disagreeable conduct. And if that's true, the state has all the right in the world because that's what the state does is it determines what conduct or behavior or actions are lawful and unlawful. And that's what they do. Every law, that's the law. That's how you define a law. So that's why this is controversial because you put these two words together. You have the words speak, speech, and act together. These uh, do not equal each other. They just don't, right? I mean, just rationally, logically, speaking doesn't equal acting. You can stand right here and say things. What are you actually doing? Nothing, right? On the other hand, I could not have the ability to speak, and I can do all sorts of things, right? So uh, that's why this is controversial, because speech act is like putting two words next to each other that are the opposite of each other, and then trying to make something rational out of them, like this is a phrase. So if I said um, up, down, or left, right, yeah. When you get to the corner, go left and right. And then the, uh, the uh, apartment, you go down and up to get to it. Th these, these are two different words that are the opposite of each other, in a sense, not perfectly opposite. But speaking is not acting, and acting is not speaking.
So I say, I don't like your face. I walk, walk up and I punch you in the face. Is that a speech act? Is that a speech act? Is that a speech act? I say, I don't like you. I walk up and boom, punch you in the face. Is that a speech act? Yeah. Battery. It is a violation of the law, an act committed or omitted in violation. In this case, it's committed in violation of law that forbids it. It's punching the face is an act committed in violation of law that forbids it. Yeah. So how did five super smart, wealthy, rich, well-connected geniuses, how do they use language in this way that makes absolutely no sense? How'd they come up with that phrase when it makes, on its face, no sense at all? How'd they come up with it? How'd they come up with that phrase? Where'd they get it from? Where'd they find it? Sorry? They made it up. Yeah. <clears throat> they made it up. Powerful, wealthy, connected, attorneys, lawyers made it up. Can they do that? Sure. How can they do it? They have power. How do college professors make up words and phrases and ideas? How do they do it? We got power. Yeah, we have power. We're in charge of the words. College professors are in charge of the words. Lawyers, attorneys, and college professors, we are in charge of the words. We decide what words are good, what words are bad. We decide what words mean, even if historically they meant something else. We decide. So when I decide it, you have to write it down, you have to accept it, and I want you to just go along with it. Don't resist. Don't ask any questions. Don't even ask if it's rational. Don't even ask why the change is necessary. Would you do me a favor and just accept it? Would you please do that? You'll make your life so much easier, and you'll make my life easy. Yes? So it's not like too much of a debate. I lost too much like a battle of billionaires. Say again? It's not much of a debate. I lost too much like a battle of billionaires to people who have like, the, who have, like the debate, like all who are rich and powerful. They make stuff up. They yeah. Yeah, they do. But they can get away with it. Because if you're rich and powerful, who's going to stop you? Who's going to tell those five justices on the Supreme Court that they can't use that term to describe what happened? Who's going to tell them? No. Because what happened is, once they decided this case, it now became law, law in a sense that it invalidated the law that Texas wrote. So once that case was decided, when those five uh, justices decided, that this, this, even though it's behavior, they get it. So if we had them here and I was interviewing them and I said, is what Johnson did to desecrate a venerated object, is that behavior or speech? What do you think they would say? It's behavior. They'd say, I mean, come on, it's behavior. It's behavior, it's obvious. However, that particular behavior is so, quote, symbolic of speaking we're going to treat it as if it was speaking. Okay? That behavior was, quote, so symbolic of speaking, we're going to call it speaking. Therefore, it's covered under the First Amendment to the United States Constitution. Is there any logical flaws in the way I just laid that out? Is there anything logic, logically flawed in that? Anybody? Is there anything logically flawed in that statement? That burning the flag is, quote, so symbolic 
We're going to treat it as if it was spoken. Therefore, it's covered by the First Amendment. Therefore, the state of Texas cannot pass this law. This law is invalid because it violates Johnson's uh, uh, constitutional right to speak freely, and that's covered under the First Amendment. Is anything I said irrational or illogical there? Or am I just am I being logically consistent with the way I just laid that out? So it's just their basic opinion on what they feel is saying? Of course it's their opinion, sure. Yeah. But when you're rich and powerful, don't your opinions have power? Like I said, college professors and lawyers. They make up all the words that you all use. They decide for you. I mean, there's a historical context of language and how it changes over time, but ultimately they're gatekeepers. College professors, teachers, and lawyers are gatekeepers. They will tell you when a word is no longer good or invalid or, or doesn't mean what it used to mean, and they will tell you the better ways to understand words, languages, in this case, phrases, right? So cruel and unusual punishment, even though the founder said when they were doing it, guillotine, uh, all sorts of methods to take someone's life today, the courts will say that that is um, unconstitutional uh, because today we don't like that. So therefore, if as a society our views and opinions change, then we can then say that the law is no longer the law, that it is now unconstitutional. So why is this a landmark case when the Supreme Court basically rules for speech acts before this? Uh, the Supreme Court hasn't ruled for speech act before that. No. Tinker versus Des Moines was way before this. It was What's, during the Vietnam War. Well, tell me what Tinker versus Des Moines means. I have no idea when, what that case is. When the kids went to school in protest of the Vietnam War by wearing black armbands on their school uniform. And what would the court say? The court said that it was basically so close to speech that it was protesting the war. It was so close to speaking that they ruled in favor of the protest, and kids were allowed to do that. Yeah, basically the same thing. I don't know. I don't think it's the same thing because if it was the same thing, what year was that? Vietnam War had to be prior to this, be prior to this. Yeah, it, it couldn't have been the same thing because even if you read the dissent, uh, they don't even mention that case. And if they do, it may be kind of a footnote. It was a huge, when this was a case, when this was coming up, it was a huge, Yeah. they used it in defense of Johnson. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit, um, um, I don't know the case and I haven't spent time with it, so I don't know why. But um, they, I mean, sometimes they use lower court cases to kind of defend their ideas, right, because that, that would be kind of case precedent. And sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And I, I don't know in that case if they used it. And then what weight did it hold? Because then the other side may quote other cases that then, then way heavier than that case. I don't know the answer to it. Some cases when it comes to schools particularly, um, I'll give you an example in the California um, Code of Education. They give schools a lot of leeway to suppress student speech legally. Because the pre Supreme Court has made some exceptions called time, place, and manner. Time, place, and manner. Uh, your, your right to free speech could be limited based upon the time you do it, the place you do it, and the manner you do it. And what they do is for schools, they have some different ideas about it. But generally speaking, in a school context, someone wears a shirt that says, uh, I love President Trump. The principal says, you can't wear that shirt, take it off. They say, why? It's free speech. They say, no, because people here don't like Trump, and they'll beat you up and punch you in the face, and we're trying to protect you. So we love you so much, we can legally uh, restrict your free speech because we love you. 
and the courts say, generally speaking, that the, that the principals and the schools can do that, even though it's de facto uh, suppression of speech. They'll even argue that, but they'll say that's an exception. Right? So the government often does that with free speech, where they say, we're, gonna, we're going to interfere with your ability to speak freely because we love you and we're trying to protect you. Right? Um, YouTube does that for me. I have a channel, and then they uh, people comment on the things I post. And then YouTube says, you know what, uh, Professor Tufano, we love you. And we care for you, and we're looking out for your best interests. So here's how we're going to help you. We're going to disable the comments on your, on your videos. I'm like, oh, thanks, YouTube. I love you, YouTube, because YouTube cares about me. They're worried about me and my feelings being offended. So they said, don't worry about it. We're going to take care of you. We're going to disable comments on your page. Wasn't that nice of Facebook to do that for me? Yeah, just like the, US, the government sometimes does that for us, too. They're like, you know what, armbands on those kids? Uh, I don't know. I mean, if we let them have armbands, next thing you know, there may be some arguments and maybe some scuffles, and next thing you know, someone's going to get you know, poked in the eye or thrown on the ground, and we can't have that. So, because we love you, no armbands. I mean, this happens all the time. Colleges, historically, have been one of the places, believe it or not, that have limited and constrained students from speaking. They're pretty famous. There's many landmark cases uh, regarding colleges trying to limit free speech on campuses, all sorts of landmark cases. When I was at Cal State San Bernardino, they uh, had, I would say once a year, there was a lawsuit from students about the, the university suppressing free speech because what they did was they created what they called free speech zones, and they said, no, 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 we're totally for free speech, but you got to do it over there. If you do it over here, uh, we can discipline you and kick you out of school. But if you do it over there, that's cool. So no, 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 no. Who said we're not for free speech? We are so for free speech that we love you so much that we're giving you a little area to have it. Because over there, it's safe. Over here, hmm, somebody may disagree with you and maybe say something mean to you, and gosh darn it, may kick you in the shins. But over there, they won't and they can't, because there's a little bubble over there that protects you. Do you like that idea? Yeah, I think most of you do. OK, shake your hand. But that's clearly unconstitutional. So even if you think that's a great idea, because you're like, oh, that's a great idea, it's still unconstitutional. Even if you think it's a fantastic idea, it's still unconstitutional. So what's more important, how you feel about it or what the law says? I know the answer, how you feel about it. That's true. Because the culture you grew up in, they said what's more important, feelings of the law. Feelings trump law. But this is weird, because in 1989, they said the same thing. Isn't that weird? That didn't happen today. That started, that started, <laughs> that started with Johnson. That feelings trump law. It started with Johnson. Now, I'm sure it's before that, because you could probably quote some more cases, because she's paying attention. Because she's engaged. I like that. But this isn't the first time that happened. Speech does not equal action. That's not true. They made that phrase up. And guess what? It's on the books. It's in our book. Because they're lawyers, they're rich, they're powerful. And when they say it, it matters. And when they say it, it they get to make it stick because they have the power to do it. I'm just a silly speech teacher. I know nothing about the Constitution. OK, well, I know a lot about the Constitution, because not because I have special knowledge. It's because I've read deep and wide all sorts of people about the Constitution. I've read the Constitution. I've read commentaries on it. I know a lot about it. But again, I'm just a silly speech teacher, right? So yes, I don't have the special knowledge that maybe a constitutional law professor would. But I don't think you need special knowledge to read what the Constitution says. Here's where we start. 
There's nothing in the Constitution that says anything about burning the flags, is there? So there's nothing in it, which means the Tenth Amendment applies to Texas. Texas can make a law that says you can't burn a flag. That's just rational. That's logical. That's just, that's normal. But in this case, five justices said that behavior, certain behavior, not all behavior, because that would be dumb, right? Not, not all behavior, because in the dissent, that was one of the questions. They said, can you list us all behaviors that we agree that are behaviors that can be defined by law, can you define all those behaviors that are so symbolic of speech that will interpret their behaviors as communication or speech, and then the First Amendment protects them? Can you list all of them? That was one of the things that the dissent said. You think, the, you think the people that uh, affirm this opinion, did they do that? No. They said this is a special case. The flag is the only symbol that you can uh, desecrate and still will interpret it as if you were speaking. We're gonna, even though it's behaving, and we all agree, okay, even though we're rich and we're lawyers and we're powerful, we're not idiots. We understand what Johnson did was behavior, so we're not going to argue that it's not. We're going to say it is, but then we're going to say, however, it is so symbolic of speaking, we're going to call it speech. That's what they said. Of course. Yeah, and I don't know how often it happens. I mean, it happens sometimes. I mean, out of all the times that courts act, I'm cynical, but I'm not that cynical. I assume in most cases they follow the law. But there are plenty of cases where they don't. They follow their opinions or how other people may feel about their opinions, right? And then they act upon that. Well, the law is something that, um, if you think about how a idea becomes a bill, a bill becomes a law, you, you know something about that process, right? There's, do, there's usually a representative process yeah. where the people are involved in the, the people, the citizens, the people, the, the, <clears throat> the citizens' representatives <clears throat> that are involved in the process. So in Texas, this became a law because the people of Texas wanted it to become a law. In other words, they wanted it. They said, look, we don't want the flag desecrated. That's what we want. There's nothing in the federal government, supremacy clause, that says there's nothing about flags. So how can the federal government tell us that we can't make a law about flags? Because we make laws all the time. In fact, every other law we make, murder. What's murder? The intent for murder. To uh, intend to take someone's life and you take someone's life. Whatever it is. Whatever those, those things are. An act committed taking someone's life with the intent to deprive their life, whatever, in violation of the law, it says you can't do that. Right? I mean, do that. that's what laws are. So um, if you're in the state, the first thing you do is you look in the Constitution, you say, is it covered? And if it's, if it's silent, then the Tenth Amendment gives them the right to make all sorts of crazy laws. How many crazy laws do we have in California? Does anybody know? Yeah, half of them maybe. So where'd they come from? Someone had an idea, became a bill, became a law. And in California, because... Um, There's actually a law that says get rid of uh, uh, daylight savings time in that, California. There's also, again, we, 
California has more laws than most states quote combined. And every year, January 1st and July 1st, because that's when laws go into effect in California, look it up. They're just amazed how many laws we pass. So, so the books get like this. They're because they never sunset them and they never delete any. So the law. So if you're an attorney, that's why you have when you go to law school. This is you got stacks of books. You go to the police academy. You got stacks of books because they just keep adding laws. There's no way people that are involved in enforcing laws. They they can't possibly know all the laws. So then they focus on five, the ones they can remember. You know, just that's all they do. And and so a lot of laws go unenforced because people just don't. They don't have the time to enforce them. So um, this is regular. So when I look in the federal constitution, I don't see anything about flags. So how in the world does the federal government say the state did something wrong when there's nothing about flags? Because everyone interprets things differently. No, they don't. Not everyone. Well, clearly they do if it's five to four. Well, that was only nine people. Not everyone, right? So if you're saying sometimes those people uh, interpret things differently? That's true. Not everyone, no. Those people sometimes do. How many times is it 9 nothing, 8 one, seven, two? Sometimes, right? Yeah. I don't know. You could, I don't know the answer to that. Look it up. But I imagine I'm going to take a guess. I'm going to guess 5-4 is in the minority of all rulings over the last 20 years. Look me up. I could be totally wrong. You'll tell me next time you see me. But no, everyone doesn't interpret different. And besides, who cares what we all interpret differently? What's the difference? What if you take an opinion and they said, okay, um, how many people think that uh, Johnson should be able, able to burn the flag and then everyone, we get it, like 80% of you say they should. Does that invalidate the law? That would, be, that would be ridiculous. That means that once the state goes through the process of an idea, they then talk about it, they debate it, they argue about it in public, they have open forums, they have all sorts of things, they spend money, time, and energy, and then they, they go through this deliberative process, and then the governor signs a law, it becomes a law, and then we're like, nah, sorry, we don't like it. We, our opinion is, it's a dumb law, we're not going to follow it. right? And then you get arrested, and you go to the judge, and you say, look, that's a dumb law, sorry, let me go. What's going to happen? You're going to go to jail? Yeah, that's how it works. So no, there's only a particular set of people whose opinions matter. Ours, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, because maybe our opinion matters because we vote for and elect people that we think have the same standard we do when it comes to upholding the law and how our opinions and feelings matter. And in the law, you can't have feelings and opinions. They, can't, they, they contradict. So the law says one thing. The law says this. You committed an act that was in violation of the law that forbids it, or you, committed, you, you, you omitted doing something that was forbidden. That's what the law says. It has nothing to do about how you feel about it. There's nothing about how you feel about that. So when the state passes a particular law, that's what they do. Your, your emotions and your feelings have nothing to do with it, because if you did, Lady Justice wouldn't have a blindfold on. Why does Lady Justice have a blindfold on? Why does Lady Justice have a blindfold? Yes? Yeah, you're not supposed to look at the person's social status, political status, all those other things. You're supposed to look at the law and see if their behavior was consistent with the law. That's it. Has nothing to do with the power, gender, race, religion, how you feel about it. It has nothing to do with it. Because if it did, then every time someone got arrested, lady, lady law, lady judge would pull it up and say, hmm, you're with me. Yeah, that's justice. Balance. Yeah, balance. And then um, 
the idea that, it's, that the lay justice is blindfold, which means they can't see your external attributes. All they know is your behavior. Doesn't matter what race, culture, ethnicity, religion, it has only to do with your behavior. Did your behavior that was forbidden violate it? Did your behavior that was commanded, did you violate it? That's what the law does. So does it always do that? No. Laws don't change all the time like that. Uh, they take a long time for people's opinions and views about it to change, and then they elect other people that then change the law. Yeah, the law doesn't stay static, but uh, has murder changed over the last six, ten, eight thousand years? Has that changed? A little bit, but probably not over the thousands of years that it's been on the books. Very little. Yeah, very little. So no, some are very consistent because there's some things as a culture we believe strongly in. And in Texas, they believe strongly in don't burn the American flag. And they had all the right to make this law. They had all the right to do it based upon the way the Constitution is written in the law at the time. They had total right to do it. But five justices decided they didn't because they said that even though we agree this is behavior and they should be able to make laws against those behaviors, this behavior is, quote, so symbolic, so symbolic that we're going to treat this particular thing, burning the flag, as speech. Now, if you come to us with another thing, we're going to stick with the state. We'll, we'll agree with them with behavior. But the flag burning thing is so symbolic, we're going to treat it not as behavior, we're going to treat it as speech. Now, here's the thing, because a lot of you, there's some tension. I can see it in your eyes and your face and your, and your, and your body. Because what, what you're saying is, it's probably a dumb law, it's probably a stupid law. Who cares about the law? It's dumb. I mean, you should be able to burn the flag, whatever. So what do I care? You should be able to do it. I can't get that worked up about it. That's probably true. The reason that I am passionate about this is for a couple reasons, because I see this today. This is what I, I see a lot of. And what happens if that's true, I don't have a job. If that's true, that really changes the way our society functions, because one of the cornerstones of a free society is the ability for the people to tell the people in charge that they're morons and idiots and degenerates and be able to be really passionate about that and to ask them to be better. But if this is true, that speech is violence or speech is action, then you could see how you could tell someone, I'm going to punch you in the face, and then you get arrested. And you're like, what are you arresting me for? I'm arresting you for battery. And I'm like, battery? I didn't touch them. It doesn't matter because what you said was so much like violence that we can now arrest you for battery. You have an example of it? Um, well, I know that the Supreme Court is taking cases. I can't think of the case off the top of my head that you, they will protect your freedom of speech unless it incites violence or causes violence. So isn't that a fine line? No. Like you can say, I hate President Trump, but you can't say, go kill President Trump. Yeah, you can. Why not? People have been arrested for it. That's my point. No, you won't. And you may. I mean, you won't. I mean, mainly you won't. People say it all the time. They, yeah, you, and people get arrested for it. That isn't that, aren't we already? Is that rare? I don't think so. Yeah, it is. Very rare. Because even when people were claiming they were going to go lynch Obama, people were getting arrested for that too. Rare. Yeah. Go to the airport and yell, I have a bomb. What's going to happen? You're going to get arrested. Well, you'll be arrested, detained, beat up a little bit, dragged around, tased, all that stuff, right? But what if you just say, JK, I was just messing around? Well, you still had to go through all that, though. So aren't they already kind of impeding on our freedom of speech by arresting people for saying things? No. Be violence? No, it's prosecution, not arrest. Because the bar is really low to be arrested. It's, re it's, it's probable cause, reasonable suspicion to get arrested. 
You could be just standing around with some people, and all of a sudden the cops jam you up or whatever, and they're like, we're arresting you for whatever. And you're like, dude, I didn't do it. And then later on, they bring the station, and you, you talk to people, and the detective decides, eh, we don't really have enough, and they let you go. And that happens all the time. I don't know what percentage of time people get arrested and never prosecuted, but it's pretty significant. So no. In the airport, they'll, they'll tase you and get the dog to bite you and drag you around. And if you just say, J.K., I was just goofing around with a friend of mine. They, yeah, there may be some fine for saying something stupid, but being arrested is not the same as prosecuted. This has to do with actually being prosecuted. So can the government arrest you for saying something? There's a couple of cases that this is one of my favorite cases. Um, can you flip off the cops, and is that a violation of law? There's actually a state, California State Supreme Court case that says you can. But in New York, they, they had this on the books probably up to about 10 years ago that people would flip off the cops and they get arrested. On his face, it sounds kind of stupid, right? I mean, why shouldn't you be able to do that? Again, I'm not recommending it. I'm just saying, but to have a law that says you can't do it? It, it really, it's, I mean, up to 10 years ago, New York still had that law on the books. It's kind of stupid, right? Yeah, it's dumb. So yeah, will government do all sorts of stupid things like that? Yeah. But the difference between being arrested or prosecuted are two different things. The police and law enforcement have a pretty low bar when it comes to detaining you and then arresting you. But the bar is high to prosecute you, right? Because the state has to prove beyond a reasonable doubt, and that's a very high bar. So I don't know. I mean, we're kind of splitting hairs on this. What, so is but, it unconstitutional be fined for freedom of speech, though? Well, do you have a context for it? Well, like the example you just gave, like if I were to go to an airport and say I'm a bomb and someone were to find me. I don't Isn't know. Isn't that technically unconstitutional? Probably, but again, power matters, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, but I, again, we're not really disagreeing. It just it depends upon the nuances of it. And again, I'm talking more general, not the nuances, because everything I just said, there's a nuanced position for all of it. I'm talking in general terms because I'm trying to think, of, I'm trying to communicate some big ideas and you have a lot of knowledge, which I appreciate. I really do. And uh, you should be like that, really, because it's nice to have people that have, have passion for that, too. So this is, this is a big deal that I think because um, this ultimately has to do with the current controversy uh, with social media and then, and then even colleges where they say you can't say certain things. And the idea is because that quote may offend somebody, it may hurt somebody's feelings, so therefore my right is taken away, and the person's right to be offended trumps my right to say it. You see what I'm saying? So the person's right to be, the person's right to not feel bad things or feel offended trumps my right to say what I want to. Do you see what I'm saying there? Did you get that, catch that? But I know a lot of you are like, yeah, but people shouldn't be able to say this, 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 or this, because it's mean and rotten. Okay. I'm not making any argument that people should do that, but what I'm saying is that that is not how the First Amendment historically has been interpreted, or has, even today how it's interpreted. Is this not? Uh, even the Supreme Court, last couple of cases, two or three cases, where people argued that words were violence or whatever, the Supreme Court said, no, they're not. Um, there's a bunch of cases. Uh, one of my favorite is the Westboro Baptist Church. Does anybody know that case? Westboro Baptist Church, where military people died, and at their funerals, this so-called church would get out there and say mean and rotten things. And some of them were arrested for creating a disturbance. Went to the Supreme Court. You know, like this one, nine to nothing, nine to nothing in favor of the Westboro Baptist Church. Nine to nothing. Saying no. Even though it's disgusting, it's mean, it's rotten, all those other things, it's protected speech. Because the First Amendment was written for the Westboro Baptist Church. 
for a bunch of people that are mean, angry, rotten. That's what it was written for. It wasn't written for the peaceful, calm person that would never say anything mean to anybody. It wasn't written for that person. That wouldn't make any sense. It was written to cover the most vulgar things that people could say. The limit is do. And that's why this messes that whole thing up. Because this is a do. This isn't a say. But they said it's now a do, kind of, but we're going to call it a say, which means the First Amendment covers it. Has anyone ever heard this exposition or discussion like this ever before? Every time I've asked it, I've only had like one student over the years that actually said I've heard something like that. Go ahead. Good. Kind of brought up the he brought up another case. It was called Loving versus Virginia, uh-huh. where a uh, multi uh, multiracial couple, a black, yeah. uh, with a black woman about marriage, you know, racial marriage, could not get married yeah. because the state of Virginia said that that uh, that multiracial couples couldn't get married. Yeah, yeah, that one's kind of an easy slam dunk. It's kind of kind of dumb, right? that they made a law based upon immutable characteristics. You can't do that. You never should have done that. And of course, our history has some laws that did do that. But on its face, it's clearly unconstitutional to make a law that has to do with your immutable characteristics. You're born the way you're born. You can't change that. So to make a law that says that a law is based upon that, of course, it's clearly unconstitutional, moral, and ethical, et cetera. We've had some of those throughout our history, obviously. This one is just a matter of the five justices deciding that what Johnson did was so symbolic of speaking that even though it obviously was behavior when it called speech, but you can see that that could be a slippery road or a slippery slope, whatever you want to say, and that's why when I think about in today's context, terms of service for all the, the, the social media places, they kind of really say that. The reason they can't let you say whatever you want to is somebody will be offended by it and somebody will take it as, quote, metaphorical, or emotional violence, and we can't do that. We're there to protect you because we know Twitter loves me. Twitter loves you. Facebook loves you. Facebook loves me. I know YouTube loves me because they cut the comments off of my channel because they were worried someone would say something mean and they're just looking out for me. And so how do you trump love? I mean, when someone loves you so much that they protect you from other people's comments, how do you, dem- how do you demonstrate appreciation to them for doing that for you? How do you demonstrate appreciation? How do you do it? Someone told me, start your own YouTube, stupid. Start your own Facebook, dummy. Moron, make your own Twitter. Make your own rules. Does that sound like a good response? How in the world are you going to make your own Twitter, your own Facebook? How would you possibly do that? How would you do that? How about if we do this? How about if we go back to the old way? Say whatever you want to, as long as it's not a violation of law. And then see what happens. I know today, most of you can never envision that, because people say that would be the wild, wild west. There's nothing wrong with the wild, wild west. It's actually a pretty nice place to live. People respected each other, because they never knew who was going to shoot each other. So they were, wild, wild west, it's kind of a misnomer. It actually was a pretty nice place to live, because people respected each other. And they knew the boundaries, and they knew not to cross them, and they knew what the consequences were. So this is why I cover this, this is why I'm passionate about it, and this is why I encourage you to spend more time thinking about it, and also think about how power plays a role in how these things work out. Johnson's a hero. Uh, 
He was an unsavory character, just FYI. But he's still a hero uh, because the case was named after him. And this is case precedent, but I haven't heard too many people quote this since then. And most teachers and most constitutional people, they would say that the five uh, justices did the right thing. Even though this is a controversial case, when you look it up, very few people take the position I take, which I'm taking Chief Rehnquist's position because he's the genius, not me. I'm just a dumb speech teacher that has my opinion about it. All right, questions about this? Is yes. Just a sure. The Supreme Court ruling. It says from 2000 to like 2018, the 36% um, of all decisions have been unanimous. 36? Yeah, I was, I, I was guessing. I was pretty close because I said probably the majority would be, yeah. Yeah, because we only focus on the ones that are 5-4 because we're like, oh, the 5-4, and there's so much. Only 19%. How much? 19. 19%. Yeah, I, again, thank you because I was guessing. I think I was pretty close. But sometimes we just we think, oh, because sometimes we say, oh, they're so biased. These liberals or these conservatives. But the truth is, like I said, it's only 19% of the time. And a lot of the big cases were unanimous. And so that's good. But in a free society, you're going to get some of this. Sotomayor, she's a justice on the Supreme Court. She said something recently about the last couple of cases that were 5-4, quote, in favor of the, quote, conservative side. I don't know how you define it, but apparently Sotomayor is on the liberal side. And then um, who's on the, whoever's on the conservative side. So a bunch of 5-4 decisions in favor of Trump's position. I mentioned a couple of them. The public charge issue with immigrants and then the immigration ones. So Sotomayor said, basically, look it up because I'm just paraphrasing, that she's concerned that the majority conservative justices are just siding with Trump, not because of the law, but because they prefer and like Trump's ideas and policies. So basically, she was criticizing them and saying that they're using their opinion and emotion to decide the law. That's what she said. And it's somewhat controversial because cannot the people on the other side say the exact same, same thing back to her when the 5-4 decision is on the so-called liberal side? Can't they also say that back? Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So, if the argument even amongst these very rich, wealthy, powerful people is that some of my colleagues are influenced by their emotions and their feelings to make decisions and they're not following the law, then I would say that's, that's a true statement. But it works on the liberal and conservative side. And so do my art. I mean, you can look at some of her cases and some of the things that she said. It seems pretty clear that she's using her opinions and her emotions to make a decision and not the law. Because these people are human. So all nine of them at some point are going to make a decision like this one that clearly is about emotion and about feelings and not about the law. Can we eliminate that? No. All we can do is try to hold them as accountable as possible to say, look, all courts and judges should be like an umpire. Just call them balls and strikes. Right? They're not making any opinions about the balls or strikes. You're trying to stay neutral. That's what a good judge is supposed to be. However, we're human. So our emotions do guide it. Sometimes they do it subconsciously. We don't really realize their opinions or emotions are making us make decisions, or consciously we are. All right. All right, I've had some fun. Anybody else? At least three of you, four of you? I know you did. Appreciate it. All right, I'll try to put this, this, uh, this, video, this audio up on the, on the thing, too, because I think this may have been better. What I do is if I like this one better, and I may, may not, I'll delete the other one put this one on there. 
All right, so what are we doing next uh, week? What's going on, on next Tuesday?